Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Twenty years ago, it started with a simple idea. That those who champion the sanctity of life stand up and be heard. I'm here to walk for life. Are you ready? I firmly believe with my whole heart that my generation, standing on the shoulders of many here today, will be the ones who stand up raise our voices and finish the work to end abortion. Today, on January 22nd, I don't honor choice anymore. I mourn choice. Through adversity and bigotry, we walked. Year after year, our numbers grew. I think we're bigger. I didn't think we could get bigger, but we're getting bigger. Through triumph and joy, we continued on. What a difference a year makes. What a difference a year makes. Peacefully singing, praying, and testifying to the truth. And after 20 years, our message has never been more clear. I have a message for Joe Biden, and I say this out of love. You are a baptized Catholic, sir. Start acting like it. Christ has healed me, and he can heal you too. We will march on until the one day where abortion around the world is not only illegal, but unthinkable. Freedom will ring in every home in every hamlet, in every city. Freedom will ring for every black child, every white child, every Episcopalian, every Catholic, every Baptist, and all of God's children will be able to take hands together and sing in the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, every baby will be free at last. And brothers and sisters, as you know, we have been preparing for the events of January 2024, the marches, the rallies clear across the country, the March for Life in Washington, about which we've been speaking, and the second largest of the pro-life marches, the Walk for Life West Coast, which will take place again this year in San Francisco. And we want you to to catch the enthusiasm of this event, to know a little bit about the history of it, and to participate in it. And for for that purpose, we're proud today and very happy to have our colleague and friend, uh, Eva Montaigne with us. She is the co-founder of this event, and we're gonna learn more about its history and uh, what's going to happen this year. So Eva, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so happy to be with you uh, because we go back way back, don't we? <laughs> we do indeed. You know, I was speaking with one of our other colleagues the other day on an interview, and I said, uh, "I said, so how far back do we go anyway?" And she said, "That's classified information." <laughs> but it has been a it has been a long time, and it's really been right from the beginning of this walk for life. Which I wanted you to tell our audience how it got started. Of course, you and also uh, Dolores Meehan uh, got this thing launched. But I mean, how do you end up launching something that becomes the second largest pro-life gathering in the nation? 
Well, that's quite interesting because back in 2004, um, our, our governor, um, who was at that time was the mayor of San Francisco, Gavin Newsom, allowed same-sex marriages. And um, at that time it was illegal. So we decided to have a marriage rally and it was so successful. We had within a couple of weeks of trying to organize this marriage rally, we had 1500 people show up. So we thought, you know, we need to get this momentum, um, keep it going. And Dolores and I had both been to the March for Life in DC. So we thought, you know what, it would be great to have something sister event to the March, not, not exactly the same as the March, they do legislative, the laws, they try to work with the laws. And we thought, well, why don't we do something that here on the West Coast especially is needed to show that abortion hurts women and how there are um, different agencies there willing to help them, et cetera. So that's how it kind of got started. We thought, why don't we do a walk for life and in, as a sister event to the March for Life and we'll do it on a Saturday closest to the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. So that way that, because the march is always during the week and that way we kind of grow together. So that's kind of how it all got started. And, and we've been growing ever since. Uh, before COVID, we had around 50,000 people since COVID, maybe 35,000 because people are still kind of afraid, but we've been growing every year since COVID. In fact, we were quite proud of the fact that we were one of the only walks. In fact, I, as far as I know, the only walk that year during COVID that we kept our event going um, yes. without the city's permission because they wouldn't give us permission that year. But we just thought we got uh, Dolores's pickup truck, put a speaker in the back of it, uh, put Father Fessio and Reverend Childress up there to give us some pep talks and we walked. And we had a couple, two, three thousand people that showed up during COVID. So, yeah, we just keep growing. You know, uh, the the story, I always like the story about the very first Walk for Life, you know, because many people think, oh, San Francisco, you mean you get a big pro-life turnout there? And it's like, yes, there's a lot of great pro-life people there. In fact, as you know, Breach for Life got started in that in your neck of the woods. And uh, a lot of good things come out of, of California and even San Francisco. But tell us what happened that first year. The, the pro-abortion people seemed to to, to, to want to say, this is our city, you know, this is our city. And they tried to actually stop it. Tell us that story. Yes, it's like, actually, um, you're quite right. That first year, we have to give some of the, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom had a lot to do with our growth that first year because he came out against us vocally, in media, all over the media. And I think that energized our side, the pro-life people, because it was they were so against us. They even had an official city proclamation against our event and making the San Francisco the pro-choice city or something like that. I mean, some kind of city proclamation that was specifically against our event. And due to the fact that he was so against us, I think that's what brought out a lot of people and they had a huge rally against us. Kamala Harris and, and Gavin Newsom both spoke at it. We just recently found some raw, rare footage of them at their rally over there at that first year. And they, they came, they had their rally in a different location, but only like a mile away. So they decided that they wanted to have their walk come right by us at the same time, or, and they got there a little bit before us. So it was the most incredible, how do I how do I even describe it? It was literally when we came out of the plaza and got onto the Embarcadero, 
we thought that we were going into war. I mean, the just the loud, um, they were screaming and yelling and, and, and God bless it, um, the police department because they did a great job keeping them separate from us. But they were awful and they were so bad that that was the last, first and last year that Parenthood now and all of them officially came out against us because they saw how bad they looked and how horrible it was what they were yelling at children and throwing things and giving the finger and, you know, just obscene gestures and, and it was just, they were awful. Um, so anyway, so that's kind of, a, that, that really solidified the fact that we needed to be there, but it was also the largest protest we ever had. After that, they really backed off because like I said, they really saw how bad they looked. Yeah, so, I was gonna say my, my, my sense having come there each year is that each year the counter protesters have been less and less, fewer and fewer. Uh, down to the point where, I don't know, last year, if I even saw any, maybe a handful of them on the side of the road. Well, last year, I think they did have a few more than normal because of Roe v. Wade. But what happened last year, the reason you might not have seen them down there at their usual location is because they came up and they were right at the front of the walk. And right when we were, before we even started walking, you know, where the, the young people start to stage the banner and everything, um, they were right there, right beside us. It was incredible how close we were to their raging madness. So as yeah. soon as we started walking, they took off and tried to yeah. get up to where they usually are. So it was, they were kind of dispersed last year. Yes, yes. You know, um, the, the structure of the Walk for Life is, is very similar uh, to what people, I'm sure many of our viewers have experienced uh, in Washington at the March for Life in that there is a rally and you have speakers. I guess the rally goes for, for about an hour. And, uh, and, then we, uh, and then we march. And uh, people are um, uh, just uh, very similar spirit of, of joy, enthusiasm, families, as you mentioned, children and so forth. But the, but the theme, as you already touched on this, is complementary, I would say, to what we see at the March for Life, because we're not in the center of legislative power in the United States, uh, as we are in Washington. We're in San Francisco. And this theme about abortion harms women, and the, 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 the banner, Abortion Hurts Women, is, is there right in the front every year. Tell us about, it's kind of a different cultural message, isn't it, uh, that the Walk for Life wants to give? Not, not in contradiction, but complementary to what we see at other marches. That was exactly our um, desire at the beginning. We wanted to be complementary. And basically, at the, from the very start, in fact, I think maybe in the very first year, we always had an info fair. Those, that's a place where different pro-life organizations, uh, pregnancy centers, et cetera, could come and let people know about their services. And we wanted to make sure that our event was a teaching event. So we wanted to make have that available space for those people. We also have you come out, uh, Silent No More, before our own rally, you come out with your uh, your speakers, uh, which is wonderful. I see huge crowds gathering around you there. Um, you definitely want it to be more of a learning experience. All, every single year from year one, we've always had uh, an abortion story. If somebody, some, a woman telling how abortion had um, destroyed their lives or, or at least destroyed their lives initially and how they came to redemption and 
And we even had men talk about how abortion has affected them. But we always want to make sure that we focus on how abortion hurts women and that there is help for women, both if you're pregnant, if you're in a crisis pregnancy situation, or if you've already had an abortion and you're hurting, there are so many resources that are available. And we want to make sure people understand and know about them. Yes, you know, and, and, and that theme, of course, ties in, as you already mentioned, so naturally with what we do with healing uh, women from abortion and men too, the fathers, uh, the Silent No More campaign, the voices of those who can say by experience abortion hurts women. So it's always well, so we're so well received there and we're grateful for that opportunity each year. Uh, you know, the, um, the other dimension too, uh, that is that you're not afraid uh, even though the theme is, as you just said, but you're not afraid to call people to their civic responsibilities either. I remember, uh, for example, on, on um, uh, I guess it was the election of 2020 when you had me speak, you also uh, had a voter registration uh, booth right there in the info fair. You allowed us to arrange for that. And we're very grateful for that because that, you know, it seems to me, uh, Eva, that every pro-life gathering, it just makes sense that, hey, these are the people who need to be uh, changing things in public policy. Let's make sure they're registered to vote. These are our people. And uh, I think that was very successful that year as well. Yes, and I want to try to do something like that, or at least mention it from the podium that, you know, elections coming up. <laughs> it's an election yeah. year. You got to get yourself to vote. You got to register and, and get, get out there and actually do it and vote. So that's definitely going to be a part of our, our theme this year. Excellent. Well, uh, even another question I wanted to ask you, and it's it's you hear it often in the movement now. Uh, as you said at the outset, uh, the 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 date of the uh, Walk for Life West Coast is set in the same way that uh, March for Life, namely right near the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. But right now, as we know, Roe v. Wade has been reversed, and so some people are saying, "Oh, do we still need to have these big marches?" And how do you explain to them the fact that yes, indeed, we still do need to have them. Oh my goodness, especially out here on the West Coast and here in California, which is a sanctuary state for abortion, we definitely have to keep it going. And I do get the question a lot about the date. And but I feel very strongly that Roe v. Wade was what started this this horrific uh, abortion uh, social whatever. And I, I feel very strongly that the, the Roe v. Wade cannot be forgotten and that we're not celebrating it, we're remembering it. We're remembering that that's what started it. And we're remembering, and, and you have to understand and realize if you've seen all the different um, legislations since then, I mean, we're losing them left and right, Ohio, etc. So I want to make sure to keep this going. And people are so used to this event on this day. And I feel strongly that we need to keep it here and we need to keep it on this day and we need to keep pushing, we need to keep fighting, we need to keep letting people know that abortion is not acceptable, it is murder, it hurts women, men, families, it hurts everybody. You know, this is very much uh, in line with uh, the thinking that Nellie Gray always expressed, uh, the founder of the March for Life in D.C. And also uh, Janet Morana, our executive director, has always uh, uh, said we're always going to keep January 22nd. Uh, it's like a day in American history like December 7th, uh, you know, or 9-11, uh, where we, we remember the tragedy, we honor the victims, and we, and we resolve that these things will not happen again. Uh, so we're going to actually have on the 22nd itself, two days after we're with you for the walk, 
a, a memorial service in front of the Supreme Court. And we're always going to keep that on the 22nd, uh, the actual anniversary. Uh, and I think together, then we're all on the same page that uh, the movement constantly needs to be inspired. And we need a rallying point, too. We need, a, we need an annual event where we come together and we, we realize we're not alone. Uh, we see the youth and the vitality of the movement. We also see the diversity of the movement. And that ties in again with the info fair and also the wide variety of speakers that you have. Uh, I wanted to, you to give our audience a sense of the, of the variety. In fact, I remember the year you, uh, the year you had me introduce Monica Snyder. Uh, that was an interesting little uh, uh, arrangement that you made. But tell us about the diversity of speakers that you have and also the diversity of groups that come for the info fair. Oh no, it's it's great. Uh, in fact, in fact, this year we're constantly getting more and more people that want to be in the info fair. We've been sold out for weeks, and and so we're trying to figure out how we can get more of these groups um, to so that they're represented, so people know about them. And so you're right, the info fair is very important. And our speakers, we definitely try to. We've had singers, we've had famous singers, we've had movie stars. I mean, we've had so many different people. And we try to always um, find powerful speakers who can touch the hearts of those who are listening. Because as, as you know, EWTN broadcasts us. And sometimes we even have the local media out there that gives snippets of talks. And, and so we try to get, um, I'd like, I love getting the media something to feed on. <laughs> so like this year we have Kaya Jones and Kaya was um, an original member of the Pussycat Dolls and she's had three abortions and her abortion stories are amazing. And so I wanted her to come out and so she's coming. And I have feeling that those kind of things will will maybe get the, the local media to give a little bit of our side. Um, and if not, at least our people will hear how horrible it was and how she's repented and how she, what happened. And so, yes, and of course we have Lila this year, Lila, uh, and she's been with us before. So this is not her first time with us, but we're very excited to have her back. Reverend Childress, as usual, he's been with us almost every year from the beginning. And then we have Kimberly Henkel, she's um, she's wonderful. She's adopted several children. And so she'll be speaking about fostering and adoption. So we have great speakers, come on out. <laughs> yes, we wanna encourage everybody to come and, and they'll be able to watch it also if they're, uh, if they are unable to come in person, uh, is it live streamed? It will be live streamed by EWTN um, as they've been doing it for years now. They're coming for sure. So uh, you can watch it on EWTN. And I think re they replay it once or twice. So if you can't yes. watch it at, the, at that time, you can always watch it online. Um, and I just wanted to say that, you know, everybody who works on the Walk for Life, we have full time jobs. I work at Ignatius Press. Dolores is a nurse. Um, all of us who work on it have full time jobs. So this is a passionate, um, this is a passion of ours to help this grow. And I just want to say, I went to give a talk, um, I don't know, a couple years ago at a uh, parish in the East Bay, and it was about Walk for Life. And so I gave my talk about Walk for Life. And, uh, and then right after me, there was a high school uh, group of kids who came up and give their testimonials about what the walk has meant to them. Uh, and it was so moving. And, I, and that's why I think it's so important for people to come. 
because these young adults, I mean, they went back home, they were energized, they started pro-life groups in their schools, they wrote pro-life essays for their for their homework. They they really went out of their way to stand up for, for the pro-life movement. And so I just encourage everyone, if, even if you can't come to ours, go to one in your local, you know, there might be a local one or, or support the pro, you know, the crisis pregnancy centers or just get involved, just do something for the pro-life movement. Well, we want to thank you for your perseverance and, uh, and vision uh, that got this walk started. And thanks to Dolores and the whole team. It's always nice to be with everybody. Uh, then later on at the end of the day, and we have a dinner together. And, uh, uh, and you get great support from the Archbishop, of course. Archbishop Cordiglione is uh, well-loved across the nation and uh, well-deserved as well. So uh, we look forward to being with you. And brothers and sisters, uh, please, please uh, consider coming. Come if you can. Uh, Eva, what's the website for them to uh, to uh, look at more details? It's walkforlifewc.com. So walkforlife, spelled out, WC for West Coast. So walkforlifewc.com. Excellent. All right. We will see you on the 20th. And uh, God be with you and your team. And uh, we look forward to walking for life. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Dolores and Eva. As you know, I've been coming to this walk practically from the beginning and will continue to be with you every year until the end. The end being victory. I bring greetings from Janet Morana, our executive director and co-founder of Silent No More. You see her on EWTN. I bring greetings from our other full-time Priest for Life ministry leaders, Brian Kemper of our youth outreach who's here today, Marie Smith, wife of Congressman Chris Smith, Dr. Teresa and Kevin Burke, founders of Rachel's Vineyard, Father Dennis Wild, and evangelist Al Vita King, along with the other 45 full-time members of our team. My friends, we're here today to raise our voices about abortion. And you know, when we talk about it in the churches, we're told we're too political. When we talk about it in politics, we're told we're too religious. In the media, it's too disturbing. In business, it's too distracting. In education, it's too controversial. In the streets, it's too disruptive. So if abortion is wrong, where do we go to say so? We go into the churches, we go into politics, into education, into business, into the media, and into the streets. And today I want to focus on bringing it into politics. It's an election year. And if God's people vote pro-life, we could see one year from today Planned Parenthood completely defunded. We can see the Supreme Court solidly more pro-life than it is now. We can see babies in the womb fully protected from dismemberment abortion and other painful late-term abortion procedures. We could see it one year from today. But that is only if we elect public servants who know the difference between serving the public and killing the public. And those who can't tell that difference don't belong in public office. Friends, in 2020, the momentum is on our side and never has the political divide been wider. We have the most pro-life president in American history. 
and we have the most extreme pro-abortion political opponents in history. Jeremiah 18 says, we are like clay in the potter's hand, but that he, the potter, will take his cue from us as to how he'll shape us. If we do good, he relents in punishing. If we persist in evil, he relents in blessing. In other words, we get the public officials we deserve. And there's nothing more basic to the virtue they need to have than to realize you can never kill a baby. If a politician can't respect the life of a little baby, how's he supposed to respect yours and mine? Nothing. Nothing is more basic than this, which is why the U.S. bishops and the Pope recently affirmed that among all the issues that are important, abortion is preeminent. First of all, nothing takes more life. Second, no victims are more defenseless. And third, no right is more fundamental than life. Take away a baby's life, and you've taken away her education, health care, voting rights, and right to immigrate. The debate in this election, my friends, cannot be about personalities or whether we like somebody or what we think about their private virtues or vices. It's not about what we personally like. It's about the common good. It's not about private virtue. It's about public virtue. What virtue, what vice will they write into the law and write into our courts? Where will their actions today lead our country tomorrow? How will their decisions now impact our children, our grandchildren, and theirs? Look at the Supreme Court. There are five conservative judges and four left-wing extremists. The two oldest on the court are of the leftist wing, Justice Breyer is 81, and in a few weeks, Justice Ginsburg will be 87. With a pro-life president and Senate to replace them, we could have, in a very short time, a Supreme Court with a 7-2 to pro-life majority. But this is possible only with a successful 2020 election. The President and the Senate have placed 185 federal judges and counting on the other courts who will all serve lifetime terms. Don't let anybody tell you that we haven't made progress. Your pro-life votes in the past have paid off. Billions of dollars have been diverted from the abortion industry. Freedom of conscience has more protection than ever. Much of the research using aborted babies has been stopped. Congress has been urged to end late-term abortion, and we have an administration that, along with saying Merry Christmas, says clearly that ripping babies from the womb is not okay. More progress is needed. But it's not because those we've elected aren't doing their jobs. It's because we need more of them. Remember, because of how the U.S. Senate works, we don't need just a majority of pro-life votes, but 60. We would have defunded Planned Parenthood already and passed numerous other pro-life laws if we had about seven more reliable pro-life votes in the Senate. Pro-life progress in the law happens 
when we have a pro-life president, a pro-life house, and 60 pro-life votes in the Senate. It's as simple as that. We started the job in 2016. Let's finish it in 2020. So many elections are won by just a few percentage points. Gallup found last year that 29% of voters said they would only choose candidates who agree with their position on abortion. Among that group, pro-life voters win by a nine-point margin. Pro-life is a winning issue. And elections are a numbers game. So we have a voter registration table right there in the info fair today. Register to vote. Check on your voter registration status. Go to pro-life voter registration online. Come to the table. Get some election materials. What's at stake in 2020 is bigger than we realize. We must throw aside the fear of being politically involved. And our concern must not be that we avoid division. Our concern must be that we be on the right side of that division. Friends, I've handed out to you, but you came. Most of you have this election prayer card, and I'd like to conclude my remarks by having us all say this prayer together and say it every day. It's at electionprayer.com in English and Spanish. Please take out the cards that we've given you and pray along with me if you would. Oh, God. We acknowledge you today as Lord, not only of individuals, but of nations and governments. We thank you for the privilege of being able to organize ourselves politically and of knowing that political loyalty does not have to mean disloyalty to you. We thank you for your law, which our founding fathers acknowledged and recognized as higher than any human law. We thank you for the opportunity that this election year puts before us to exercise our solemn duty not only to vote, but to influence countless others to vote and to vote correctly. Lord, we pray that your people may be awakened. Let them realize that while politics is not their salvation, their response to you requires that they be politically active. Awaken your people to know that they are not called to be a sect fleeing the world, but rather a community of faith renewing the world. Awaken them that the same hands lifted up to you in prayer are the hands that pull the lever in the voting booth, that the same eyes that read your word are the eyes that read the names on the ballot, and that they do not cease to be Christians when they enter the voting booth. Awaken your people to a commitment to justice, to the sanctity of marriage and the family, to the dignity of each individual human life, and to the truth that human rights begin when human lives begin and not one moment later. We rejoice, Lord, that we are citizens of your kingdom. May that make us all the more committed to being faithful citizens on earth. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you. How about Father Pavone and Priest for Life? He's amazing. We, we just really, really appreciate his being here. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.